to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Amen. I know that the Sunday that we turn the clocks forward an hour, we lose that sleep. I know as a pastor, because I've been doing this for over 20 years now, that the people who come to church are like the eager bunch and the healthy bunch. They're not sick, so they don't have to sleep in, and they're eager. <laughs> so here you guys are. Uh, thanks for coming to worship with us this morning. We are 10 weeks now into this series, kind of walking through the book of Acts. And today we get to tackle Acts chapter 6. And what we find in the beginning of Acts chapter 6 is the early church had experienced enormous growth. They, they grew in just a short period of time from just a few dozen people to several thousand people. And uh, with this growth came con- some considerable problems. You know, oftentimes I think when we think of the early church in the book of Acts and the New Testament epistles, we think, wow, the early church must have just had everything together. They must have been like the perfect church. There's probably like no problems at all in in, in the church. And and Luke, when he writes the book of Acts, he's writing it to this gentleman by the name of Theophilus. And Luke doesn't spare or gloss over, he doesn't gloss over rather any kind of problems or difficulties. He actually says, wow, there's quite a bit of stuff that the early church had to work through. Kind of like how the church today has to work through lots of things. And what was happening in Acts chapter 6 was a lot of growth had happened. And there was some considerable problems that came. And people were getting lost in the shuffle. They were becoming quite disorganized. Um, Things were getting overlooked. It was causing all kinds of complications. And so in Acts chapter 6, the beginning of the chapter... We find that the apostles are forced into creating some new pastoral systems and structures to be able to minister to all the needs that are presenting themselves. You can imagine if you're part of a local church and it, and it grows from a few dozen to several thousand, that there's a lot more need presenting itself. And there's only 12 apostles. So it's really too much now for these 12 apostles to do. They're just unable to keep up with it all. And as the early church just continued to grow in, in, in size, it became more difficult to minister effectively and meet all these needs. And, and that's really a challenge that many churches face today, kind of as they grow. It's certainly something uh, as a church planner that, that I have experienced. I remember when we first started out the church here, it was just my family and two friends of mine. And um, we didn't know what we're doing. We still don't know what we're doing. But I just remember the first few years, I just had to wear all these hats because the church was brand new and there just wasn't a lot of folks and some of the folks were new. And man, at one point I was preaching, I was leading and directing worship, I was managing facilities, I was the accountant doing the finances, I was casting vision, uh, acting as a liaison for the community, meeting people and other organizations, coordinating small groups, ordering curriculum for kids' church, recruiting volunteers, setting up and tearing down because we were a mobile church like we are today, doing all the scheduling, planning events. And it, it, I'm not good at like 90% of those things. <laughs> but I was in a position where I just kind of had to do those. And, and fortunately, as the church started to grow, uh, I was able to set up some new structures and systems and, and form a team, and we invited more people into leadership and serving opportunities. It's, it's strange to say this, but 
nine years later, we have over 60 leaders and volunteers at the Church at the Well, which is, which is pretty fantastic, right? 60 people. And yet I, as a pastor, oftentimes feel that, man, we need more folks to engage and get involved and serve and lead. Because I believe this, that God wants to do more stuff. He wants to minister in a deeper way to more people. And I'm convinced that the local church, the body of Christ, needs every single member of the body to function if she's going to do her job really good. If she's going to minister to the world, then every part of that body, right, the local church, needs to, needs to function. And uh, one of my pastoral goals <coughs> this year is to learn how to better help that along, to learn how to better kind of manage that and communicate opportunities for people to serve and to people to lead and to people to be a blessing. I love that Abby gave that announcement this morning, just kind of inviting. Man, it's something that, um, honestly, because I, don't, I only have so many gifts and giftings, and there's a lot that I don't, uh, and this is one of them. It's just kind of like managing things and creating spaces for people. But I, I, one of my pastoral goals, personal goals this year, is to step in and grow into that and clearly communicate opportunities, clearly create paths for people to come in and serve and lead so that we can do more ministry together. And so you guys have to pray for me. Otherwise, I'm, I'm, it's just a lost cause, right? So pray for us too as a leadership. And, and this is kind of what's happening in Acts chapter 6. We, we open up Acts chapter 6 and we see kind of a, a similar thing happening. There's just lots of kind of disorganization. The church is growing and they can't keep up with things. As I mentioned in previous weeks, Luke the author of Acts doesn't gloss over any problems or complexities the early church faced. And not only do we find the problem of disorganization in Acts chapter 6, but we find something far worse than disorganization happening in the church. And that's discrimination. And you might say, wait, what a second? Wait a second, what, what's going on? Adam, are you just saying that there's discrimination in the early church? Well, I'm not saying it. Luke is saying it in chapter 6 of Acts. And we're going to read that together this morning, um, what was happening is one group of people were being favored at the expense of another group, and there was some preferential treatment going on in the early church in Acts chapter 6. And both of these issues, disorganization and discrimination, are directly addressed by the apostles in this chapter. So it's a pretty intense chapter. We're going to focus just on seven verses of the chapter and pick up the rest next, next week. But this chapter, the first half of this chapter specifically, answers two very important questions for us today. And that's this. One is how can we as a church community minister more effectively? Well, Acts chapter 6 kind of addresses that. So hopefully we can can pull out some truths and principles from this passage to help us answer that question. How do we as a church community minister effectively? And then secondly, how do we combat discrimination and racism in their communities? Acts chapter 6 kind of talks about that too some. So are you guys ready to dig into these verses here? See what we can, see what we can learn and find? Nobody's ready, but I have to do it anyway because I get paid. So Acts chapter 6 verse 1, here we go. <clears throat> verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so the church is growing, right? The Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained. Wow, there was complaining in the early church. Did you know that? 
the Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, this term Hellenistic, you read it, and you, if you don't know what it means, you think, oh, that, they must be the bad ones. They're hellish. They're, they're Hellenistic. No, it just, it, it's just a term that means they were Greek-speaking. And so when it says Hellenistic Jews, what it's referring to is it's a group of Jews who spoke Greek, and they went to a synagogue where the service was, was done in Greek. And then it says there was another group over here called the Hebraic Jews, and they spoke Aramaic, and they went to synagogues that were the worship service was conducted in Hebrew. And so what's happening in verse 1, it says the church is growing, and the Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked when it came to the daily distribution of food and caring for the widows. (coughs) And so the group who spoke Greek noticed that their widows were being overlooked. They weren't getting the same amount of food as the other widows, and so they're at a disadvantage. There's some preferential treatment going on. One group is benefiting at the expense of another. And like I said, Luke doesn't gloss over problems that are happening in the church. He's just kind of telling it how it happened. He's unraveling it as it happened. But, but we definitely see like some level of discrimination here. And we know this um, because uh, the apostles were determined to make it right at once. That's our evidence. That yes, this was legit discrimination because the apostles step in right away and address it. They step in right away at once to solve it. As soon as they're made aware of this injustice, they do something about it. They swiftly respond with action. They, they don't just offer empathy and thoughts and prayers, right? They make reparations. And, and I think sometimes there's a lesson in there for us as a church. Like sometimes we hear of, of, of things. How many know that when you turn on the news or you read the paper, there's all kinds of current events and you're kind of just like, oh, overwhelmed by it all, right? And sometimes, you know, we, we go to prayer, we have empathy, we, we think about those things. But then we also feel that tension of, yeah, but I, there has to be a way for me to engage and make reparations, to do something, Right? And what we find here, and this is the encouraging thing about Acts chapter 6, is the apostles, as soon as they're made aware of this injustice, they they swiftly respond. And so it's something that they took very seriously. So look at verse 2 of Acts 6. And here's what they did. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Isn't that an interesting statement? We'll come back to that one, because I want to address that one. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, as I mentioned, there's, there's two things being addressed here in these verses at the same time, and that's uh, discrimination and disorganization. And the apostles face them both head on. They address them both. How do they do that? Well, 
It tells us here that they chose seven individuals to administrate the daily food distribution to these widows to ensure that there is equality and fairness among the distribution. And they, they don't just randomly choose these people. Remember in Acts chapter 1, they were trying to choose the 12th uh, apostle to replace Judas, and it says they, they cast lots. But here, they don't, they don't, they don't do that. Here, there, there's deliberate decision. There's certain qualifications that, that they, they use to choose these seven individuals. And, here, and here's what they, it says. They had to have an honorable reputation. They had to be known. Right? Two, they had to be godly and full of the Holy Spirit. And three, it says they had to demonstrate wisdom. But there's another implied qualification here in this passage that's easily overlooked, and it's this. All seven of these individuals had Greek names. You're saying, what's so special about that? Well, remember, it was the group of Hellenists, the the Jews who spoke Greek, that felt like their widows were being overlooked and not getting enough food. And they were complaining against the Hebraic Jews over here who spoke Aramaic, right, and went to Hebrew synagogue because their widows were being cared for. And so here what we find is that it appears all seven of the people appointed to this position were Hellenists. And Luke even makes it a point to say one of them wasn't even Jewish. He, he includes this little detail. It's kind of strange. He goes, Nicholas, who was a proselyte. That means he wasn't even Jewish. And so here's what the apostles are doing. It's evidence that they took this very seriously. They didn't choose any Hebraic Jews to distribute the food. They chose people from the group that were being discriminated against. In fact, what we find is the apostles hand the whole system, the whole food distribution system, over to the offended minorities. The the apostles say, oh, yeah, you're you're complaining because your widows aren't getting enough food. That's an oversight. In our part, we're kind of disorganized right now, and and, and this is discrimination, and we have to stop this. And so we're not going to appoint any Hebraic Jews to this post. We're going to get seven individuals over here. And we're going to make sure that there's equity and fairness in distributing this food. And what we find is this is kind of like the first real example of affirmative action taken by the church. It, 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 Paul and the, or Peter and the apostles, they, they come in and they say, okay, we're going to solve this. We're going we're to make sure that we absolve and get rid of any form of discrimination towards our Greek-speaking Jewish brothers and sisters. This is a real problem, right? We, sometimes we just read stories in, in the early church. We think, wow, the early church was like really good. What's wrong with our church? And it's true. Our church has lots of issues too, right? But, but I love that Acts, Luke records this in the book of Acts because it lets us know like, hey, when we have issues and problems in our church, we have to address them together, right? It's not something they did on their own. It says they pulled all the disciples together and they said, hey, what are we going to do here? And their solution is... is is pretty uh, focused because they want to demonstrate their commitment to abolishing discrimination. <clears throat> and we see this kind of a theme throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 10, which we'll get to in a few weeks, Peter says that God doesn't show favoritism. Paul says in the book of Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus, he says. Later on in the book of James, He warns against showing partiality in his epistle. And so what we find in the New Testament is this consistent message 
uh, of equality in the early church that, that no, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. No, there's, it's not, it doesn't matter if you're a Greek-speaking Jew or an Aramaic-speaking Jew. And the apostles are stepping in to kind of make that, make that change. Now, this, of course, has all sorts of implications for us today in the American church. Let me give you just one example. I could use lots of examples this morning, but let me just give you one. Why is it that 10 a.m. on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in our country? You ever thought about that? What happens at 10 a.m. Sunday morning? Church. Why is it that's the most segregated hour in our country? Well, I would argue it's because as a church, American church, we haven't done a super great job. We haven't taken the lead of what the apostles did here. The apostles saw, no, there's favoritism going on. There's something not right. This one group over here is being marginalized, and we need to make room for them. So let's pick seven leaders among them who are filled with the Spirit of God. They're wise. They meet all the qualifications. They have great reputation. And let's let them lead this ministry. And I love what the passage says. It says, the word of God spread rapidly. Why did it spread rapidly? I believe it's because the apostles are, are stepping into the problem, addressing it. They're not, they're not burying the head in their sand. They're not putting the, the duct tape on the check engine light in the car. <laughs> they're looking at it and saying, oh no, we've got a real problem here in the church. This, this can't happen. God wants to do too much. We have to solve this. So we've got to get organized, number one. And number two, we've got to root this discrimination issue in the bud. See, I think we can learn a ton from what the apostles did in Acts 6 how not only did they take the time to listen to the grievance, but they acted, they responded. They did something. Not easy to do. They made reparations. And I'm convinced that, that we today, the American church and our church, need to find ways to make racism, discrimination, justice, reconciliation a, a bigger part of our gospel conversation. See, here's the thing. I know that those things are uncomfortable. I know they're complex. But if the early church was committed to them, then we have to be too, right? Amen? So let's quickly look at the other more minor problem that the apostles were addressing here, and that's disorganization. Let's read verse 2 through 4 again. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together, and they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you, who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer (coughs) in the ministry of the word. Now, when the apostles say in verse two here, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. They're not saying that serving food is beneath them. And we, we can kind of interpret it that way. We can say, oh yeah, serving foods, they're just way too important for that. It's beneath them. See, sometimes we get the wrong idea about serving in ministry, and we view kind of serving in ministry in general as a hierarchy, that there's really important ministry, which is preaching and pastoring, and then there's less important ministries like hospitality and and compassion. But I'm going to tell you that is not scriptural in any way, shape, or form. That it's not a scriptural way to view ministry and serving. In fact, the book of 1 Corinthians What we find is the Apostle Paul in the book uses a metaphor to describe 
the church in serving in ministry. And he, he uses the metaphor of a human body. And just like our human body has all these parts that function together, that the church is the same way. And he, he, he says in 1 Corinthians, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the, and the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And he goes on in, in 1 Corinthians and he talks about how the parts of the body that we can't see are the most important parts. They give life and vitality to the body itself. Like we call them what? What kind of organs do we call them? Internal or vital. What does that mean? It means without them, boo, we're in trouble. There's no life. There's, there's no sustainability. There's no vitality. And so Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians that when we think about the church, when we think about the local church and service and ministry, it's actually the parts you don't see that are the vital ones. They're the ones that give life. See, I think we got that backwards somehow in the American church. We see the pastor and the worship leader and the kids minister and the people we see all the time. We think, whoa, those people, are, they're, they have import, they're important. No, we're like the inside of your mouth that has bad breath. We're, 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 just, we're, we're just a part of the body. Right? The most important parts you don't even see. I'm going to tell you as the pastor, the life and vitality of this church does not come from me. It comes from people you don't even see. You don't even recognize them. That's what scripture teaches. So I'm glad that's the case. And so the apostles here are not belittling table ministry. Uh, They're not saying, hey, look, we're really important and you're not. So let us do all the teaching and prayer and you just like take care of this food. That's not what they're doing. They're simply recognizing that, that there's too much for them to do. These 12 people, these 12 apostles, they, they can't do it all by themselves. And, and so they each have to find their specific function and role to play. So what they do is, is, is they do something really beautiful. They create an opportunity for the body of Christ to be the body. Instead of trying to do everything in, uh, by themselves, because they're realizing they can't any longer. They were trying to, but things got overlooked really bad. People were starving poor widows they didn't have any food and they're like oh this this can't go on and to further prove that that waiting tables isn't a less important ministry the book of acts devotes the next chapter and a half to stephen's story and stephen was one of these seven individuals listed here says and they chose stephen a man full of the spirit and wisdom and the and we're going to find this next week as we go look at Stephen's story. It's powerful. It's the second half of chapter six and then 60, I think it's 60 verses of chapter seven. It's a significant part of the book of Acts. And so what, 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 what's Luke doing here? He's saying, look, this table ministry thing is not a less than ministry. In fact, we're going to devote the next chapter and a half just to tell one of these seven stories. Later on in the book, we read a little bit about Philip, who was another one of the seven listed here. We read about his powerful story. And so don't think for a second that this passage creates a, a, a ministerial hierarchy. If anything, it shows the exact opposite of that. It shows the, the, that God uses table ministry to bring reconciliation and unity. And, and it, it says, what happens after this, after this? After they appoint these seven people to distribute the food, it says, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, it says. So I want to close with just a few personal thoughts that I'd like to share. <clears throat> As a pastor, um, I can't help 
but read this chapter without feeling conviction. Because I recognize this, that I want to do a better job of leading our church congregation through these two issues addressed in Acts chapter 6. One of them is this. How can we as a church community minister more effectively? Man, I love verse 7. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. I want that for our community. Let me just qualify that. Not for the sake of growing our church in numbers. The church growth stuff, I mean, there's church growth manuals, there's church, people are all about that. To me, that's just super distasteful. But I want to grow and be a part of the kingdom and what God wants to do. See, here's the thing. Church people spend most of their time thinking about how to get people into the church. But kingdom people spend most of their time thinking about how to get the church into the world. I want to be the kingdom people, not the church people. But I love this verse, so the word of God spread. Man, that would be amazing. The number of disciples and people who are following Jesus increased rapidly. My prayer is, is that every single member of this church body would function so we can effectively minister to the world around us. And I'll say this, the fact that you're here, especially on that Sunday where you turn the clocks ahead and you lose an hour, that's proof that you have something to contribute. That God wants you to be a part of this church body because he wants you to function in some capacity. Whether that's making a meal for a new place or hosting a small group or, or playing an instrument or helping with kids or doing, being part of our counting team or praying. There's so many ways to serve. And I believe there's way more we haven't even created yet. I, I hope there's times when, like the apostles in Acts 6, people come up to us and complain like, hey, this isn't being done. And, and we say to you, oh, it sounds like you have a real passion for that. How about you, you, you lead that? How about you start something like that? So just be gracious with us, and me in particular, as we try to kind of help you step into that. Uh, one thing that I've got to do better, is, and as a team we've got to do better, is clearly communicate, communicate opportunities for people to serve and lead. And so pray for us this year as, as we kind of endeavor to, to grow in that area. The second thing, issue that's addressed in Acts chapter 6 that I want to do a better job at, is how do we make justice a bigger part of our gospel conversation? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. You know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? Who knows who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? He's a German theologian, just a genius, like a humble man of God, powerful, but super intelligent. And man, his, his, his sermons and his writings are just brilliant. He says this, we are not simply to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice, but we're to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. Man, is that powerful and challenging. See, the sad truth is this. We live in a world of unbelieving activists and inactive believers. We live in a world where people who don't even believe and follow Jesus are are active. They're they're stepping in trying to resolve and fix issues. And then inside the church, we have a bunch of inactive believers. We offer thoughts and prayers and sympathy, which we need to do. Those are very important things. But 
What I love about Acts chapter 6 is the challenge here that the apostle says, no, roll up your sleeves. We got to dig into this. There's disorganization in the church. There's discrimination in the church. We've got to somehow address this and we're going to need God's help. I love that. And um, I'll, 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 you know, when I was a kid, I was Catholic and I was an altar boy. And, and I used to go to confession every week. Anybody here ever done confession before? Yeah, you go into this little confessional box and the priest is in one box and you're in another and you have a slider door and you open it up and you just confess stuff. And, and, and um, I did that as a kid. I kind of feel like I'm doing a little bit of that this, this morning, kind of confessional. Um, but as I'll, I'll, I'll throw Abby and Ian as the other two staff people in our church in the confessional booth with me and speak for them. But sometimes we feel overwhelmed on a Sunday. We feel overwhelmed because we know we have 75 to 90 minutes. And we have to lead this meeting and we want to cram in some worship and some good Bible teaching and some prayer. We want to make sure there's celebration. We want to create space for lament. We want to equip people. We want to train people. We want to make sure there's fellowship. We'll try to work in a little bit of liturgy. There's exhortation and testimony and calls to worship and scripture readings and announcements and sometimes communion. All that stuff, right? And every week there's at least one current event that we feel is important to address, usually more than one. And it, it can feel really overwhelming for us at times. We're like, man, we got, we got 75 minutes. How are we going to do all this? Which is why I'm convinced that the church has to be more than a Sunday morning gathering that we plan. The three of us cannot plan a good enough service <laughs> to accomplish all those things in 75 minutes. And I'm convinced that the church has to be bigger than that. It has to be more than that. It has to involve all of us, right? The body of Christ, every member functioning throughout the entire week, which means this, we've got our work cut out for us, right? You're supposed to say amen at that. <laughs> You're like, okay, good, because I feel like, man, I'm going to have to do more stuff. <laughs> See, here's the, here's the thing I'll close with. Just like the early church in the book of Acts, we too need God's grace and wisdom. We, we just have to have it. Because any attempt to, do, to minister to, to a broken world, and we are broken ourselves, any attempt to do that out of our own brokenness, man, it's just, it's just a lost cause without the Spirit of God helping us. Which is why I just love the book of Acts. Because I read chapter 6, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Man, that, I, I get it. This organization and problems and all this strife and there's complaining, man, that, that, that sounds about right. But the Holy Spirit, because wherever you have people, you have problems, right? And people, it, it amazes me. I'm a pastor for 20 years, and people are always circling through the church because they're trying to find the perfect church. And I just want to try to save them time and say, this isn't it. <laughs> Move along. <laughs> Move along. <laughs> and and, and, and if, I'm, if I'm feeling like especially ornery that day, I'll tell them, when you find the perfect church, don't stay there because you'll ruin it. <laughs> but it's comprised of people. With people, there's problems and issues and relationship and strife. And I love how Luke records it and says, man, the Holy Spirit helped them through it. Guys, we need that too, right? So can I pray for us? And then we'll close with a worship song. Let's pray. Lord, I just take this moment just to, uh, to confess, like I'm in my little confessional booth. <laughs> and Lord, I just, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel overwhelmed at times. I over, there's lots of over 
sight and there's, there's all kinds of things that I, that I do kind of like just don't know what to do. And I need what you gave the apostles and we as a church family need that. We need you to kind of help us and give us wisdom in areas and, and give us grace and to lead us. And, and Lord, we don't want it just that we could grow and be a bigger church. We want to see the kingdom of God. We want to see the word of God spread. We want to see followers of Jesus increase rapidly. Not so that we can <laughs> have bigger meetings and have more to do. <laughs> but Lord, so you could be glorified so that people can find out who you are. That we could experience the joy of co-laboring with, with you. So Lord, we just take this moment. Uh, we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to help us. We ask you to lead us. And God, give us all the courage that we need to kind of step out and try new things and as we listen to your spirit. But we can't do a lick of this without you. We don't even want to. I'd rather just sleep the extra hour. <laughs> but Lord, I'm still foolish enough after all these years to believe that you move among your people. And when we gather, there you are in our midst. You still want to minister. You still want to, you still want to help those who are lost. You want to meet the needs of widows who are without food. You want to invite and call people into leadership and service opportunities because you see the brokenness and the heartache and the pain in the world and you have called your church to be the responders. And man, is that complex. Especially in the world we live in today. With politics and tragedies and but Lord, we don't want to shy away from it. So give us your power. Give us your courage and wisdom. We'll continue to keep trying and doing our best. Lord, we thank you that you don't give up on us. That you keep um, waiting for us to respond so that you can respond in us and through us. So just keep at it, Lord. We're stubborn, uh, but you're faithful. So we're just going to depend on that. In your name we ask. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll worship. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.